Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Stunt for Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello, people of the universe. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. <laughs> now, we've been watching a lot of Olympics this week. We're not really covering the Olympics. We will be covering later in the program Jolt, the new Kate Beckinsale film, which is on Amazon Prime. However, we more strongly recommend you watch the Olympics, which are amazing and only come around every few years. We may as well. The cool thing about the Olympics is that Djokovic lost. Anyway. No, that, that, that's not the only good thing about the Olympics. Many good things. There's the... But that, okay, as a tennis fan, that's the only thing I care about. about. That was the best diving. thing about the Olympics, but not the only yes. good thing. <laughs> I just watched China take silver and gold in the 10-meter in the diving. It was amazing. I missed um, A lot of the track. China lost the gold medal in table tennis for the first time since 2004. Yes, that was amazing. Insane rally that's worth watching. That, is this the mixed doubles one? Uh, no, uh, no. Yes. No, no. The... the Women's uh, women singles. Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah. And there's quite, quite a bit of the cycling to watch. Um, I loved the skateboarding. I loved it all. Um, we're also in non-Olympic film news. We we could talk about Olympic films, but we haven't seen any good ones lately. We're just going to be talking about the Disney Marvel Scott Johansson news, which is filled into the mainstream press about Scott Johansson suing Disney over their contract for Black Widow. Um, and in a moment, we're going to be talking about some major festival news regarding the Melbourne International Film Festival and Sydney Film Festival. Very distinct, very different announcements. Uh, first, we just want to touch briefly on news of the week. And that is that right now um, and after this show finishes, the Made in the West Film Festival is having an online networking event. Their festival, which focuses on filmmakers and emerging filmmakers in Western Sydney. The Irish Film Festival have launched their seventh annual program which is taking place from the 3rd to 12th of September, but you can go online and take a look at the program ready and purchase tickets. And the other thing that's happening this week, which is a perfect segue, is the Melbourne International Film Festival is uh, now taking place online from November, so August 5th through 15th. Initially, these festivals only scheduled to run online later in August and have an in-person event earlier that has been switched around so that can now be experienced around the country significantly there were 60 films that were supposed to be on myth play online there are additional 32 now um, the festival have made quite an effort to pivot into the online space so we'll be covering so that next week certainly i'll be watching a lot of myth films which contrasts greatly with the sydney film festival news which uh, was announced yesterday. Initially, the festival was supposed to run for August 18th through 29th. The festival program launch, which was supposed to happen a few weeks ago, was postponed amidst COVID. However, as it has been carried in the Sydney press and national press, the festival has now been postponed to November 3rd through 14th. They're anticipating a in-person run in November and have banked everything on at any time of the year, having rather than, as promised last year, rather than having a um, digital run, having and dedicating themselves to an in-person run whenever they can and um, whatever the potential impacts and ramifications of that. I think this is the only course that they could have taken while holding their heads up high. They just ran an ad campaign well into the lockdown with TV ads that say it's not a festival unless we're all here together at a cinema. Um, they're yeah. banking hard on the idea that like online festival... <laughs> You know, we're about also, the real deal only. So, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not making a judgment per se, but I am guess, I guess, I'm making a judgment. It, it felt pretty smug. To, oh yeah, to I agree. Of, you know, and and the advertising was pretty smug about it. And then I mean, doubling to, down. 
I kind I of agree it. that um, you know, that it's not a real festival unless it's like it, yeah, that is true. I agree with that. But it was a yeah. risky stance to take where it seems like they haven't put any evidence of preparing an online component big enough to carry the festival where it's be delayed. Um, yeah. or to run in addition to a delayed festival. It seems like they were, yeah, it looks like, like last year. They seem yeah. to have gone really all in in their thinking. And I wonder how wise that is because this was a foreseeable outcome. Yeah, look, I agree with the sentiment that ideally a festival you want to run in person. Of course, more than any other film screening and there are film event festivals want you want to happen in person. I wrote a piece for Festivez last week where I interviewed the directors of the Taiwan Film Festival and Static Vision, who spoke about how their position and their audiences wanted um, content to, material to appear online. Certainly they have pivoted to online, but they both made the sentiment, as have Sydney, that Ideally, you want this to happen in person. It's not a substitute. Some festivals, certainly, you only want to happen in person, given particular crowds. Notably, Cinema Reborn last year were the first ones to, to postpone for a full 12 months. Some festivals, yeah. given them beside of material like Static Vision, can pivot to online. I take the view that Sydney, like last year, can easily pivot to the online space. Moreover, I think, as we saw in Melbourne, Given what's happening now with a general lockdown in Sydney, the Olympics about to end, people are craving not just connection, but belonging to a general Sydney milieu, a general Sydney cultural event. We can't have any vivid in any form. This is something we could have had with the limitations we're experiencing right now. And I'm actually quite sad that Sydney didn't and both didn't both fully anticipate that this could have been a circumstance, but not put the infrastructure at least look to um, confirm that this could be a way we could go forward and they chose not to. And I wish we could report that it would be a Sydney Film Festival, even albeit a smaller one um, happening in the coming weeks, but it seems we can't. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, part of the thing is, you know, you can always, you can cater to both audiences. There are people, I mean- As I'm, 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 yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the health outcomes of this, right? There will be people come November who would still be hesitant to go out. Uh, for, you know, and they would be valid reasons given that, you know, whatever situation we might be, the virus is still going to be out there. So they might want to risk it. It's not going to be in you know, a risk-free world. So, and they also would want to enjoy that feeling of community. And it's not that the fact that, you know, you are definitely banking on people coming out, which is great. There will be a certain section of people who probably will be vaccinated and they will feel safe to go out. But there will be a huge people, a number of people who might not be, and they still might want to be part of that larger community. And you are kind of locking them out by giving them the one option that this is the only way you can enjoy a festival. That is what I feel a bit, uh, I don't know, cranky about essentially. And I think, I, I think um, well, we should hope that most people who want to be vaccinated have been vaccinated twice by November. I. Well, we're seeing and certainly an uptick in it, and I feel that what not what we saw this year is that Melbourne Film Festival have started doing screenings in regional areas. Um, when I spoke to Benson Wu from the Taiwan Film Festival, they've developed an audience nationally and internationally. I feel this is an opportunity for Sydney and certainly other festivals to do so. Um, the Travelling Film Festival was very successful and very liked, but they could have reached an audience otherwise, as could other festivals that they couldn't with the, with the space. Um, it's, it's a similar argument to Netflix and streaming services being able to release major films um, duly at any any in any jurisdiction so i wish they'd 
I wish there'd been a different approach to this. I appreciate that yes. there is a core part of the Sydney audience, as there is the Melbourne audience, but I think more so in fairness of Sydney, who will only want to experience it in physical event. But I think there was an argument for not running it in person and not otherwise giving access to people who, got it, who could have been a part of it. I mean, I'll give a personal example. I'll talk about myself. I'm a film buff, film nerd, as, as part as they come, and I'm immunocompromised, which means even after getting vaccinated, the risk for me to getting the virus and the impact is probably uh, still going to affect me in my immune system quite, quite a lot. I'm not saying that this is going to be as severe, but, you know, I'm still worried about that, catching the virus, even after getting vaccinated. So I'm not sure come November, I will be in that headspace that even after getting vaccinated, I want to take that risk and chance of going out in, in person and enjoying the films even though I would want to because I love movies and I want to be in that experience. But will I bank my health on that? Not entirely sure. I'll be very honest. Yeah. And that's very fair. And it also has, and the rescheduling also has significant impact on uh, the festival scene more generally. There's a lot of festivals that are generally take place in October, late October, early November that will be affected. Um, a number haven't set particular dates yet. I know the City Science Fiction Film Festival have set dates in advance, um, which are over a similar time period. So we'll see what happens with um, the rest of the festival scene. I know there's also been some, until the announcement yesterday, some distinct lack in communication by City Film Festival unclear. So not a lot of people waiting on an announcement or uh, particularly people who held plexi passes, but now that has been made clear they're going to be carried on till later in the year as per Ritz and other cinemas announcements so yeah we'll be bringing more on that as it develops and otherwise I'm looking forward to covering our actual festival next month they've gone for a second year online it's got some good films and and Sydney Underground Film Festival doing the same thing so yeah, yeah. I mean uh, and we're talking about MIF and how MIF have kind of done a hybrid thing but there have been complaints from people who had booked in tickets that when the switch happened, they were reallocated sessions without prior knowledge as well. So I'm not sure the communication aspect in general from people, uh, whether it's Sydney or MIF, has been definitely lacking. I think that's- Everyone's been caught out, I think, fairly yeah. late notice. Um, can I, say, I, I had a look at that. I had a look at the MIF terms and conditions. It does say that uh, sessions in light of the prevailing circumstances could be reallocated and following that people could see exchanges printing normal sessions. So. Um, I appreciate that there is a push by many who are looking to book and confirm sessions, but, and it could have been a little clearer. It could have been, while it is clear in the terms and conditions, I feel it could have been a little clearer, but I believe the festival- It all depends, like how many people- I believe the festival has acted above board, I've got to say. Yeah, they're within the rights. And yeah, and they, and they stipulate that with, because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't seem to have it too great an issue with how they acted. Um, so yep, yeah, so that is a festival coverage. You're listening to- uh, film Fight Club 2SDR with Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans and Rotney Nehru. The next thing we're talking about is another major news item. Disney are being sued by Scarlett Johansson for a breach of contract. Um, part of the contract reportedly for Scarlett Johansson was that she was to see a return, a take of the cinema outgoings and... A Black Widow. Black Widow. And the decision to release it on streaming predominantly has affected that. So she has sued the service. I know others, including Ember Stone, are reportedly considering doing the same. Disney have responded with a statement, including the, the comment, and I quote, the lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, end quote. Now- You couldn't sound any more guilty, could you? 
I did, I think it was the AV club who made the great comment. Imagine that being read out of the Mickey Mouse voice and it becomes a lot funnier. Yeah, you couldn't, it's pretty outrageous. On they responded to an accusation about a breach of contract with, yeah, well, you're a bad person because kids are dying in Africa. Look, this is a very, I know yeah, I, 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 agree. I agree. I agree. Look, this is a very simple, it's a contract matter. They should have negotiated better. Um, Warner Brothers had different regulations in place. That's um, right. Warner Brothers were, were caught out with a whole bunch of people saying, hey, what about our contracts when they announced their HBO Max thing? So then suddenly everyone who they were contracted to pay percentage points of the box office gross, for example, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot of Wonder Woman 84 were given a, a new contract and a payout in advance. Scarlett Johansson in, in an email with Disney uh, was told that if anything changed regarding the release, they would give her a new contract fund. Um, she's acting totally within her rights, I think. Yeah, this, this is a very simple matter. It, probably it, can't. Yeah, if, if that is the terms of the contract, it doesn't matter how wealthy Scott Johansson's input could be, you pay your workers. It's very straightforward. It, it is also interesting how Emma Stone came forward because it looked like uh, Disney were looking to wash their hands of Scarlett Johansson with how aggressively they came on in their response to that. And uh, the very next day, Emma Stone was seemingly unperturbed by any of that, wanting to get on board with something similar for Cruella's release being cut uh, out from under it via streaming as well. So I don't think the way Disney was trying to negotiate uh, is working. They, I think they think that they're too big to be held to account and yeah, I think part of that is arrogance. I think arrogance plays a huge part where mm -hmm. they feel that they can bully. I mean, technically not bully people around, but it is a form of bullying. bullying well, Disney that, have know. been bullying theaters in the US, especially for a very long time now. Um, and that's been getting worse and worse as they get more power where they're forcing theaters to play their films on a certain percentage of theaters and have a certain percentage of screen time. Even if that ends up hurting the theater as it sometimes does when a Disney releases a bomb. Uh, but if theaters refuse to agree to those terms, they are not allowed to play Disney's films at all. You know, it's, it's really blackballing them. So I think Disney have seemed to have a lot of corporate policies of throwing their weight around and bullying um, everyone but underneath it, it's them. It's nice to see and that they're getting a taste of their own medicine. I mean, that's- Hopefully. Not, not, not to see that. But I mean, just the fact that this, this is getting a lot of press because it's Carl Johansson doing Disney. It, it is like, you have two, uh, two, I guess, components and two uh, mm. media-worthy giants going against each other. So whatever the outcome is, it's not going to be good for Disney. If, even if they win, it's going to draw up a lot of negative press. Yeah, there's an extreme power imbalance here. It's worth noting that Time's Up, Reframe, Women in Film have all characterized this as a, quote, gendered character attack. I think it's pretty outrageous that they would make the sort of comment they made, especially in light of the size of the organization, how much revenue they do turn over, other reports of how... Um, otherwise, um, employees have fared in recent times. And I think, moreover, the fact is this, irrespective of the nature of the contract, if you, you if, especially even more in light of the contract, if you use a film and moreover, and most significantly, this person's star power in order to launch the service, in light of contractual obligations, it's probably fair that they see a chunk of that. Like yeah. Robert Downey Jr. certainly has... Uh, had how much value he has brought to the franchise reflected in his pay packets. Everyone um, went to bat for Chris Pratt several years back, and I'm surprised actually they haven't done so for Scott. I know it's a slightly different set of circumstances, 
but I'm surprised they haven't done service card enhancing. I mean, what surprises me, and I think what astounds me is that the legal team okayed this statement to go out, knowing that this statement had nothing, had no legal basis, essentially, for as a rebuttal. I think they wanted that thing. One, they wanted to wash their hands of her. They didn't need her anymore because their contract is done. Uh, yeah. Two, I think they thought that they could win the situation by portraying her as the, you know, um, the out of touch but, but rich this person. Is, this, this is not. A, this is not. A, I mean, this is not a. I mean, even if however you position it, this is not a social justice or a or a or, or you know a a kind of uh, corporate CSRs corporate social responsibility problem. It is a problem of breach of contract. You need a breach of contract. I know, contract but they didn't want people to look at that. They, wanted to to actually, they were yeah. trying to spin the narrative into being one of the rich, privileged uh, yeah, billionaire exactly. asking for more amid a, a pandemic. They it don't just, want you to think that the person saying that is one who has been fairly ruthless with uh, cutting its employees in order to cut costs during the pandemic. Exactly. Do Disney uh, when, honestly think that they're still perceived as this tiny little mouse engine that could? They think they're perceived as the good guy because they're nice and they provide family entertainment and heroes you love winning against the bad guys. And they've given you the token women empowerment, you know, uh, montages. So, you know. Not paid it for it. Yeah, exactly. They didn't pay it for it, which is, which is weird. The irony just writes itself. I'm just like, well, there was, there was your money shot, essentially, and you didn't pay your own actor. Anyway, that, that's the problem. Anyway, this yeah. is, this is, this is funny, but it's but the, well, the, pay, pay, pay your employees. The sad thing is that you, it needs to be somebody who has, is as much money and power as Scarlett Johansson does to actually take the fight back to Disney. But I'm, instead I'm of bullying and exploitation. That, that no, I'm glad she is, but it's sad that all these other people... Yeah, but all, many theaters, for example, don't have that power. You know, there's a lot of people they've pushed around who aren't unable to fight back. So rather than, um, I mean, Scarlett Johansson is the vicarious stand-in right now for a lot of people who feel probably wronged by Disney at this point. I don't know. We, could, I, I just, I just uh, want to well, see the co the contracts on it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and so you're listening to Film Fight Club at 2CR with Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Brett Nehru. Um, in the last 10 minutes, we're talking about a new film which is streaming on Amazon Prime, Jolt. It premiered last week. It is the new film from Tanya Wexler. It is starring Kate Beckinsale, Jai Courtney, and Stanley Tucci. It is an action romance, broadly speaking, where the main character, played by Beckinsale, has <laughs> violent impulses, which she uses to self-control, which self-controls, with electric shocks. Um, is, is that a fair description of this movie? I think so. Yeah, look, I hadn't heard of this movie until Glenn was like, yeah, yeah, Jolt's coming out. And then I looked yeah. it out and I was oh, like, Jolt's oh, okay. Kate Beckinsale's in it. Okay, cool. Glenn likes Kate Beckinsale. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, all right, he'll he'll watch that movie. That's fine. But then it's like, oh, no, we're reviewing it. And then I looked at it. Oh, it's out. Okay. And I looked it up. And what I first thing I saw was like IMDb 5.3. Metacritic yeah. 49 uh, movie I'd not heard of otherwise. You know what it's my like, first thought was? Would did I you remember ever watch this movie? movie called... If not for Glenn's crush on that... Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's the thing with those 5.1 scores. They don't acknowledge the sheer talent of Kate Beckinsale and how good she is, what she brings to this film versus the quality of the I, film. I don't think you were watching the film for her important. talent. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't think it was watched for you. Never seen the yeah. Underworld films. She's an extraordinarily talented actress. Those films are flawless. 
And you know, uh, once again, I don't think I saw this film for talent. Anyway, that's missing the point. So, I saw her once. I saw her, I was at the Total Recall premiere in London. Um, it was great. She was there. Uh, Jessica Bill was there. Uh, was Brian Cranston? No, it was Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell was there. No, but she is. I you see her. What, she is great. This movie is hilariously you know, bad. Oh, it's terrible. You know what, I mean, it's, it's good. It's good because she's in it. Otherwise, it's just bad. What was that for? Her? You know what this film reminded me of? Did you watch that Jason Statham movie called Crank? Where he yeah, has to, it's much better than this. Basically, Crank is much. Stuff, Crank is a cl- like, action classic. Stuff. I know, I know. Thank you. But like, I thought that, that was yeah. what this film was trying to go for, but it failed miserably. But this was this was sort of like, what if Crank was an X Man uh, who like Marvel quips yeah. her way through feminist empowerment? Pretty much. Like, but it's like I mean, this is this is all over the place. It was this so B grade. It was yeah, so yeah. generically a hybrid of all these things. Like, she lives in the same apartment that. Um, uh, oh god, I can't believe I'm blanking on. Um, oh, is it Daredevil? Is it the Daredevil apartment? No, 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 I was thinking of Atomic Blonde. Oh, yes, right. yes, <laughs> yes, yes, right. Oh my god, Atomic right. is much better right. than this. But Atomic right. Blonde was already the kind of like it's the B grade dumb feminist empowerment written by a man. I don't know that Atomic Blonde was, but this one was. Yeah. Um, the, the really, really on the nose, terrible, um, you know. I am an empowered woman. Isn't it bad when ugly bad men do white man things or whatever she says? I'm I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) I know, Um, but that could be an actual dialogue. It was very close to the actual dialogue. But it's so the um the dumb feminist movie written by a man because her character here it comes is like manic pixie Mary Sue. Her superpower is that she can do whatever the plot demands of her at any point in the in the movie. Um, and she falls in love with a man who she barely knows enough. Like she has the attachment thing as well as the like manic quipping thing of like a manic pixie dream girl character. But it's like from the other side of like, I, I'm so into you that I will avenge you. Like uh, it, it like yeah, it betrays itself as being a, like a, a feminist empowerment story, but it's ultimately like a really male nerd fantasy. I think it's such a toxic, toxic, uh, you know, um, you know, yeah, comic book toxic kind of relationship yeah. story. Anyway, I think worse than that, this film has no tonal direction. It is oh god, it is completely unclear in how it treats violence because there are yeah. moments where it's yes, we should celebrate this, and no, you're actually doing a terrible thing. There's a particular scene that takes place in a bathroom at the beginning where I think it's setting her up to be the bad guy. Mm. Realize, no, she's the audience identification figure. She's good. The, the way- bit where she throws the babies. Oh. That was. I know you could be like, oh, that's okay. kind of funny, but it also like that's that's a risk. You could easily like right. that scene in the hands of a totally in a totally consistent film. It could have worked. Director could have been great, but it would and- have been. But it's like, oh, I can't believe she's doing that. You know, like. Yes. It's just so flippant about it, as is the film, and that's the problem. There's a bit where um, she's with. Bobby Cannavale and um, what is he doing here? What is that's it, what is everyone doing in the movie? The movie is so B grade and generic, yet somehow it got Stanley Tucci. I don't know what Stanley Tucci better films. Than it's me. like a direct-to-video action movie uh, made up of elements of like here's like John Wick, here's like Marvel, you know, here's Atomic Blonde, put him in a blender. Um, but for some reason, but for some reason, doing in this film? Stanley Tucci, I agree. Kate Beckinsale. Um, 
Another Susan Sarandon. Actress. Yeah. I know. The cast yeah. is so I'm sorry. So I'm, not, I'm not going along with, oh, the big reveal. Oh, what's going to, because there's not going to be a sequel okay. to this. And there shouldn't be. But they think big... there will be. That's and... the thing. If you're that much of a B grade, let's just like crank it out and hope the idiots will, you know, give us some money and move on to the next one. You shouldn't be taking yourself so seriously as to be like, no, 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 we're setting up a cinematic universe. Of all the low-budget sci-fi scripts out there that could have been given some indie funding, was this seriously the best out there? Like, is this as good as it gets for original IP? And let's be very clear. No one is entitled to either a sequel and or a cinematic universe. And this film does that annoying thing a lot of Hollywood films do, like the old guard that we reviewed last year, where the more interesting story is in the sequel they're setting up. Just show that. That's what we want to see. You're not entitled to a sequel. And but I don't want to see the sequel. Oh, I know no, that, I, I, know I, don't, that I, I don't want to make either. Let's just get back to the same with Black More Widow. Room. Black Widow is setting up a film, which is yeah. The but the difference, is, Widow, the difference oh, is sorry, that there's there's less arrogance on the part of Marvel doing it because they know they have the popularity and the infrastructure to support a sequel. It's but, another thing it's to be like, no, no, you 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 loved this so much that I'm just going. We're going to end. On a tea, you know, on not a note of emotional satisfaction, but a tease for the next one. You oh, no, no, sorry, they were setting up the Hawkeye it. TV series. Sorry, they were setting up the Hawkeye. They're setting up everything. Sure. They're always yeah. setting up the next um, five chapters in yeah. Marvel. Uh, but look, this is not going to get another sequel. At least I hope not. No, no it's the worst. Too terrible. I tell you what, the one of the worst things about this film. There is a scene in this film where a character says it's the afternoon. In a subsequent scene, where it is established it as the same day, another character says it's ten a.m. There's no consistency in terms of time. It's not. A joke. I, I get the sense that this is a very like producers many hands in the kitchen kind of edit with weird kind of jarring music and switches in tone and stuff. And on the jarringness, it's so frustrating. They want to have the cake eat it too with the violence. They show the most extreme violent scenes in like little daydreams, but this is a device if you use it once or twice okay it's interesting but that's where the most creative sequences were they wanted to have those but not have it, the impacts of the actual the consequences of it. And that's a really frustrating approach to filmmaking. Um, I actually did like Jai Courtney in this. I think this is one of his better performances. He was very Vince Vaughn. Yeah, but he's, everyone was really wasted in this. The, I, there's so many like h- hilarious bad things about this movie. Like right from the start where it's like, we're at a fancy restaurant where there's like a, a very high class looking restaurant where the staff are that rude. Like, Ridiculous. Um, and then loudly so in, the, like in the in the in the toilets the that the public can use. They were talking on the phone about the stuff. Yeah, the people at this restaurant are just terrible. Um, it like it would never happen. Like I don't go to restaurants like that, but it would never happen. You're not supposed to think about anything in this movie. The whole thing is just constantly treating you like you're an idiot. Like she goes to this underground um, fight ring, and then like you know everyone's yelling and cheering on guys pummeling each other to death. But then suddenly everyone just stops because Kate Beckinsale walks through, going, "Guys, you know, hold on, hold on, hold on," or whatever. Like with her hands in the air, and then everyone's like, "Ooh." You know, like in this, everyone's cheering and uh, um, the like the way that at at a Best Buy, there's like a Matrix layer where there's this cyberpunk like teenage girl. There's like dudes in their Best Buy outfits, and then there's like the Matrix code going on the screen where you know international you, espionage is you happening. Clearly, just... putting a lot more effort into like sequentially analyzing the scenes. I could not be bothered because it, it's so hard to take this film seriously. It's so hard to take it's just, it's just It's like, where do you even start? It's like, there's nothing consistent about this film. I, you know, it's just- Even the plot, it's, it's like, so what bad. am I watching? It's, it's like, why so is she doing good. this? Yeah, it's, 
it's just like a bunch of scenes stuck together. It's like it's <laughs> yeah. Squad looks bad. Yeah. yeah, it's missing the basic connective of like why should I go on this journey with this character? The whole way through, yeah. I was sort of like, yeah, but but who is she? What can she do? What are her abilities? Yeah. What and why is she doing this? I'm yeah. not sure. The groundwork is not set. It's just there. It's just like oh, you make it up. <laughs> yeah. So that very basic collection of scenes is on Amazon Prime right now. Um, that's Jolt. Uh, go watch other Kate Beckett sales. Go watch films. Go watch all Kate Beckinsale films. Uh, the Melbourne International Film Festival is streaming from the end of this week, and we'll be covering some more coverage next week. Uh, stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. Let us know what you want us to fight about. Stay safe. Enjoy the Olympics because they're awesome. This has been Glenn Powell, Chris Simmons, and Brett Nehru. Have a wonderful night and enjoy movies and the Olympics. Good night.